I don't remember exactly the day it was. I know it was a Sunday. And uh, that day, I think it was sunny, and I got up, I went to church, and I was back years ago, about 20-some years ago, when I was about 20 years of age. Um, <laughs> and I remember going to church, and I don't even know what I did in the afternoon, but I, I was thinking... You know, maybe I'll go back to that church that night and that church service. And it wasn't the church that I commonly went to, but I thought, you know what, I just had the sense I should go. And I went and I was sitting in the service and singing a hymn. And I think it was after we sang this hymn and I was about to sit down, I got a tap on the back of, on my shoulder and I turned around and here about so tall was this beautiful blue-eyed, big blue-eyed brown-haired girl, and it was my wife. I didn't know it then. But it, it happened on one of these days. It's just really quite ordinary. I mean, I didn't know. I had no idea that at that moment I'd turn around and I'd be looking at someone whom I can tell you I'm so grateful for her presence in my life and how God has used her and changed me as a result of that relationship. We come to a story today in Exodus chapter 3, a really familiar story, where even if you haven't had much church background, you have probably heard about Moses and this burning bush. And I thought about it. Here is Moses who had grown up for 40 years and had this miraculous delivery and, and he was saved from death, brought up for 40 years in the courts of the king, trained, prepared, everything. One day goes out, his heart is one of justice, sees one of his own people, a Hebrew being oppressed, not just oppressed, actually being beaten potentially to the point of death and intervenes and he, his anger kills the Egyptian, runs away because now he has a wanted poster all throughout Egypt And he runs as far away as he can and he spends 40 years now in the desert doing something that Egyptians detested. So he's an Egyptian. Egyptians detested shepherds. It's one of the reasons they hated the Hebrews. They were basically immigrant shepherds, nomads, who had moved into a land called Goshen. And he, Moses gets up one day, 40 years, serving as a shepherd, his father Jethro, This time he's taking them to a far off part of the desert and that morning he gets up and I'm guessing it may be sunny and he's kind of leading the sheep and he has this life-changing experience where God calls him and calls him and in that call sends him to people. I have a sense in maybe less dramatic ways. God often, in surprising ways, in our ordinary days, wants to call us and send us into the lives of people in very practical ways. Where it could be as simple as that person, just as the people were prepared for Moses to be called and sent back, to set them free, to be touched by this plan and work of God. I think there are people who in their ordinary day get up and they have a hunger in their heart and you get up in your ordinary day and God kind of gets a hold of you and he says, I would love for you as I send you to just give a word of encouragement. 
I'd love for you to just share an act of kindness, maybe an expression of compassion in someone that you maybe see at work or as you are in the grocery store, it's a smile. Or that you feel led to at some point in inappropriate ways to just say, can I give you a hug? Whatever it might be, I believe there are people who God is preparing and he's calling and sending others to actually move into their hearts to make a difference in their lives. Less dramatic than a burning bush, but no less dramatic to the work that God is doing. I think there are people also who are enslaved with very debilitating habits, who are bound with fear and broken by despair, wrestling with depression, hoping there's something more, better, and beyond what they're experiencing, who are crying out to God. And there are some of us who have been prepared, who have been called, because of the great love of God that we've experienced in our hearts, and he is sending us to those people who may be desperate, and it may be very dramatic. They may be looking for a way, and from their perspective, there seems to be no way. Well, that's what this series is all about. It's really all about those times when there seems to be no way. God seems to kind of make a way. And it's interesting, when we look at this passage of Scripture on this ordinary day, when when Moses gets up, there's some surprising things that you find that you begin to discover as you walk through this passage of scripture. And in, in, it may not be surprising because you kind of, I know this passage, but I think there might be some elements of it that you don't know or that maybe you haven't seen quite the way I think the scripture reveals this to us. And the very first is it's, it's surprising how God calls. I, I think it's surprising as you think about this because so often we read about it and we don't even think about this, but God used a bush the word in the Hebrew is just a little thorny bush that was out in the desert. It says in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and as we saw last week, his name is really Rule. That's his family name, which is one of J.R.R. Tolkien's names. Anyway, if you haven't heard that name, but Jethro probably being a more a title, here's Jethro, his father-in-law, and then he kind of explains the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. So he's in the wilderness, but now he's in the far side of the wilderness. And came to Horeb, which is merely the word of dryness or desolate. It's seen the far side of this wilderness, kind of the lower Sinai, down in that area where there's some mountain ranges, some smaller, higher, that are just desolate pieces of land. And so he comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. He puts that in there as an explanation for the people kind of expecting at some point they they will find out this is, oh yeah, this is the place where God revealed himself. And, And then he says there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. And the angel of the Lord is an interesting title because it occurs 67 times in the Old Testament, only once here in in Exodus, and it it literally could be translated if you wanted to, um, it could be angel that is Yahweh, or angel Yahweh, and and, and it's not that that God is an angel, but because he has to come down and, and, and he can't just 
reveal himself because we would all short circuit and die. He shows himself, and, and, and many believe these are pre-appearances of Christ, which what I think might be as well. But what I think is interesting, if you look at this in verse 3, he says, um, we're told that it's an angel of the Lord, or angel Yahweh, and then we're told, and when the Lord saw and God called him from within the bush. So as you continue to read this, it says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him, flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And here's where you see, when the Lord saw that he was gone over, so the Lord in the bush, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Which is interesting because Moses, Moses, is not a Moses, Moses, it's Moses, Moses. It's a, it's a sense of affection. It's a, it, it's a, a term of endearment. And I, I think it's incredible, this God of the universe, incredibly great, infinite, eternal, magnificent, sovereign God is so incredibly personal, and he just says like he would to a close friend, Moses, Moses, Kevin, Kevin. And, and Moses says, here I am, which is a simple way of saying yes, okay? And, and you're wondering what's going to happen. Why a bush? Isn't it surprising how God works at times? Why a bush? Why a bush that's burning and doesn't get consumed and get burnt up? Why not a revelation back when he was in Egypt? Why, why not a revelation when he was having a family dinner with his family in Goshen at one point? Why, why not even with Jethro, the priest of Midian, his father-in-law, when they were one day sacrificing to animals? Why not when he was sitting deep in prayer? Why is it that he's walking along and all of a sudden he sees a bush and a bush is burning and it doesn't burn up? I think it's rather surprising how God seems to work. God can use just about anything, anywhere, to get a hold of us. God will call us, sometimes a couple names, you know, Kevin, Kevin, in the midst of something that seems so ordinary, mundane. Don't ever put a limit on how God might call someone and reach someone or talk to someone. I mean, think about it. We talk about a a bush. God will often use natural things to express his supernatural presence, to get our attention. I mean, you have to be very careful when you start saying, well, God can't do this, because God, we read in the New Testament, people walked behind and under the shadow of Peter and they were healed. Or they grabbed a handkerchief that probably he had been used when he was working as a, a tanner in sweating and maybe grabbed it and, and were healed. Now, if you said that to someone today, you go, right, heretic, you know, or you're one of those. God used the bush. The question I think about in this is, I don't think the miracle is so much that God can use something very natural to show up. I think the miracle was that Moses saw it and leaned in. His heart was seeking after God for 40 years. Can you, would you be in that place after 40 years? 
his heart was still leaning towards God. So he saw this bush, it's on fire, it doesn't consume, and he goes over. And I love this because it says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, he called to him from the bush. What if Moses saw the bush and chose not to go over and look? I have asked Andrea Haybison to share a story that she had shared. Uh, and and she's on vacation. So instead of making her stay back, we give her um, pastor's vacation. She said she'd record it. I spend my life watching for burning bushes that are not consumed. I want to watch for those things that only God can do. And I want God to see me watching. In April of 2014, I went to a conference. And as I was checking into the hotel room, I was assigned room number 1010. And at the time I thought, that's gonna be an easy number to remember. And then later after I got checked in, I went to find out what my scheduled time was to meet with some students because every attendee had a scheduled time to meet with students on the following morning. So I went to check what the time was And my scheduled time to meet with the students was 10.10 the next morning and kind of drew my attention. So the conference started that evening. So after the first evening session was over, I picked up my phone to leave. And as I picked up my phone, the time lit up and it was 10.10 p.m. Three times in one day. That number 10.10 was my burning bush. And I said, here I am, Lord. I'm listening. I started paying attention to other 1010s, and some of those were scriptures. The first one was John 10.10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have life abundant. I would need that scripture later on that following October when my mom died. It was very unexpected. She had been doing really well, and in fact, she was planning to move in with us. And we were so excited to have her do that because my daughter and her family were living with us at the time as well, preparing to go on the mission field. And we were excited about having four generations in one house and just enjoying life together. But like I said, that October, suddenly my mom became ill and was admitted to the hospital. And just a few days later, she died. And I wasn't able to be with her when she died but my brother was, and he had no idea of how God had been using the number 1010 in my life. But as he talked to me about my mom's passing, he said, Andrea, mom died at 1010 this morning. And it was as if God had prepared me since April for that untimely death to help me know that he was with me and that even though it felt like she was stolen from me, that she wasn't, that She was with Jesus, and the 1010 was just a way for me to know that God's timing is perfect, that he holds everything in his hands, and that I could trust that as things moved forward, the number 1010 was his way of showing me that he was with me, and that ultimately things were going to be happening according to his perfect plan. We meet on the first Wednesday of every month for prayer right here in the sanctuary. And last year in September and October, as we prayed together, God was uniting our hearts in some very unique ways. We were praying scriptures of repentance 
We were seeking him and looking for those things that only he can do. I have been praying and watching over the last five and a half years since the number 1010 first appeared to me and really seeking for what God wants to do in this body through worship, through prayer. And one of the most unexpected things happened last October. Last year, all of our cows had their calves near their due date. John keeps pretty good records and we know about the time that they're going to deliver and so we can be prepared. Well, we had one cow that was due in early August and she didn't birth in early August. In fact, not at all in August and not at all in September. So early in October, she started showing signs of delivering. And as I went down one morning to feed the cows, I noticed it looked like she was in early signs of labor. And so I was excited because I was actually going to be home. And so I made arrangements to be home. And I went up to the house and got warm clothes on because it was kind of a drizzly, rainy day. But I wasn't going to miss this birth. And so I got my stuff on and I went down to the pasture. And she was, like cows do, laying down for a while and pushing and then standing up and trying to get comfortable and moving around. And John said when that they start doing that, it's pretty quick that they have their calf. And this was around 8 o'clock in the morning. And so I thought it's going to happen fairly quickly. And I was excited. And then I sensed God asking me, Andrea, oh, what's the date today? And I remembered that the next day was my granddaughter's birthday, October 11th. And so it came to my mind. I was like, today is 10-10. Like, how cool is that, God, that you would have a calf born on October 10th that I could be home to witness? And then I started wondering, what if the calf was not only born on 10-10, but was born at 10-10 in the morning? And I have to be honest and say I didn't really have much faith for that because it was, like I said, like 8 in the morning, and the way she was laying down and getting up, I knew it was pretty close. And But I thought, I'm just going to watch and see what God's going to do. So standing there in the cold rain with... The, the rain dripping down my cheeks and just kind of being cold and just watching. Things were progressing and getting closer and I, I just didn't know what to expect. So anyway, about 10 in the morning, she laid down and I thought for sure I'd seen little hooves and a little nose like this calf is going to be born and I thought to myself, wow, 10, 10 at 10 in the morning would still be really cool. But the calf didn't come at 10 o'clock. The calf came exactly at 10.10 on 10.10. And I stood there and I couldn't believe that the God of the universe would care so much about one individual heart that he would actually have a calf that was supposed to be born in early August be born on October 10th at 10.10 in the morning. The biggest thing that God has shown me with the number 10.10 is that his timing is always perfect. Even though it feels like we've been waiting for a very long time, and sometimes it feels like we've been waiting in a cold wind with rain drizzling down our cheeks, our job is not to make things happen or to push for a particular outcome. Our job is to be watching and waiting. And when we see God do something, like the burning bush that is not consumed, we look and we pay attention and we say, "Here, God, here I am, God. I thought that was kind of a cool story. 
And it's not Andrew's story. God may not speak to you in those ways. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying God loves you. He's a personal God. He knows how to speak to you. He knows how to get your attention. And I just say, it's kind of interesting, surprising how God works. What's your burning bush? It's also surprising where God calls. Exodus chapter 3, 5 through 6, he says to him, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now he's standing in, think about it, in a faraway, remote, desert, sandy, dirty place. Take off your sandals. This is standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of the Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Here's Moses. He's called. He says, here I am. And I think it's interesting because he, he says, here I am. And I, I think the inclination is to kind of move forward, right? And the, and the first thing God says is, don't, don't take another step. Stay right where you're at. Don't get any closer. This is holy. Holy ground. Take your shoes off. In Eastern cultures, that was quite common to do. If you've traveled to some places, um, they'll have you take off your shoes, especially if you're going to houses of worship. In that day, it was very common for a, a person to take off their shoes when they would come into the presence of Pharaoh, especially into his palace, into his home, because he represented God. And and so that's obviously in his own mind. I mean, he grew up in the palace. He understood that. And God says, take off your shoes. You are right now standing in my home, which is kind of a, a surprising place. Not only how God calls, but where he calls. There's a couple of things going on here. God is calling Moses to be aware of his holy presence. And God wants Moses to understand this. Here's what's really interesting. Everywhere on this earth is his palace. This entire place, this entire universe is his. In fact, we're told in scripture that the earth is like his footstool. This is kind of where he rests his feet, so to speak. And so in a, in a sense, it's surprising because he says here, right in the middle of this wrong place, which I'm sure Moses is going, here? This is holy? Because we kind of would think, you know, it's got to be in a church and, or, or maybe it's in a worship service. We kind of locate God into certain places. And God goes, no, it's not some certain place. It's not some religious event or some religious building or something like that. Your home is holy. Where you go to work, you may not think about it, but where you step and where that land, that's holy. God's presence is available and around. But here's what's really, really important to understand. is God says... If you have opened your heart and you are living with him, you have become a place of his presence. 1 Corinthians says in chapter 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received? Do you know that you carry the presence of God within you, his holiness? So that when you go to your, to the office or, or if you go to school or if you're walking through a grocery store, you're at a gas station, you're about to pay the guy at the pump, whatever, you're holy. Can you imagine that? Maybe you should give this a thought. You're at work tomorrow or you're at school and, and your boss or your teacher comes up and you should just say, stop. Take your shoes off. And you probably don't want to do that. But 
You carry the presence of God, his holy presence. There is this sense that he wants us to know that all this earth, he is present here, he is everywhere, available, and he is in you. So that there is a real sense when it's, when he says this, I want you to have a sense of the reverence of who I am so that as you walk, where you go, you carry his presence. You actually have the ability within you because of God to change the atmosphere where you work, where you live. There's another aspect of this holiness. It's, it's an opportunity for him to say, look at Moses, I am so wholly different from you, so wholly different that you can't even walk in my presence without, I mean, you would short circuit if, if all of my presence was available to you. I had a teacher once explain it this way. It'd be like if you had a bunch of these um, music stands all together here. And we think of holiness so often as moral goodness. Holiness is really the idea that it's wholly different. It would be like taking one of these, if there are a bunch of music stands here, and placing it over here. It's so different from the rest. It's the idea that, that we are finite, but he is infinite. We are temporal, but he is eternal. We have a little bit of knowledge. He has all knowledge. We have... Some sense of power, God has all power. It is a sense that we can at times be good and kind and, and, and loving. It's that God always is kind and good and loving. He is so far different from who we are. And his point is this. As he says, you come into this ground, you're standing on holy ground. He's saying, you have to realize who I am. And when you begin to realize who I am, and then you take this one step further with what we know because of who he is and then who he is in you, you have opportunity to allow this holy difference of God to touch the life of someone else. So when I talked about, maybe it's just an encouragement, or maybe it's a smile. Or maybe it's just acknowledging someone and looking them in the eyes. Don't let yourself be fooled. If God has called you and he's sending you, there are times he's going to send through you his spirit to touch someone's life. It's funny how God works. He uses bushes and he can use burning bushes in our life. But it's also funny where God works. He will use sometimes words, notes, conversations, responses to people to let him know his holy goodness. There's also this idea that not only is it surprising where God works, but why God and how he calls You may not uh, think of this as surprising because it tells us in these next few verses, you look at verses 7 through 10, that the reason God is calling is out of compassion. And go, yeah, we kind of understand this. But I think if you take this and think about it the way that we live, you'll see this a little bit differently. Listen to these words. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them, which is a really important word. Come down is always this idea of God intervening, doing something, like Andrew said, at the right moment in his time. We always want to do it in our time, but at the right moment in his time. It's surprising why God calls, because the reason he calls and comes down is to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians who will bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites. 
Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And, and now the cry of the Lord has reached me. The cry of the, the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I'm going and sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And you have to think about this. The surprising thing of his compassion is it has been 400 years that Israel has been in the land of Egypt. And the oppression has been growing and growing and they've been crying and crying and crying out to God. It has been 40 years since Moses left Egypt. And as he leaves Egypt, he goes into this place and is doing the detestable work of a shepherd that an Egyptian would never do. And he's not only doing that work, he's on the far side of the wilderness. Now, I don't know if you've been in those kind of situations where you've been crying out to God, you find yourself in a wilderness, and you're saying, God, do you care? Do you even hear my cry? Is there a bit of compassion in your heart? I think that's where they're at. And I think what's surprising about this is God says, here is why I'm calling you. Because of the deep compassion that's in my heart. If you look at verse 7, you have to realize there's a parallel here. It goes back to verse 2, chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 that we looked at last week. And in verse 24 and 25, it ends that chapter... With these words, it says that God heard, God saw, and God knew. He had heard, and he had seen, and he knew. He was, he was intimately aware of what was going on in the life of the Israelites and also in Moses. That's kind of how it ends. What I want you to realize is when we come to this chapter, listen to what it says. This is the parallel in verse 7. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. So I have come down. He adds that little bit. What I want you to understand, if you are in that place and you are crying out and you're wondering, does God care and is there compassion? There is the reality that he sees, he hears, he knows, but there may be a space, that perfect timing when God says, now I will intervene and come down. And I know for me, one of the hardest things to do is to trust and have faith when it seems like 400 to 40 years to four days in sometimes in my life. Four minutes can sometimes be a trial for me. That he, it's, it makes this point here. And, and it, part of it is don't, don't think that when you begin to see God work, that's the first time God has been working. He has been working behind the scenes. And sometimes one of the best things to say to yourself when you don't see God coming down and intervening is just to say to yourself with a smile, God's at work. I know he loves me. I know he's compassionate. I know God's at work. I don't understand how this is all going to play out. I don't understand this, but I know that he's at work. I know he hears my cry. I know he's setting things up. I know he's getting things ready for him to do what he needs to do. And he says there's this part of a promise. He goes, you know what? I did tell you I will intervene and I will bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. 
He's promising these nomadic people, these Hebrews who were despised. To be Hebrew and, and to be called that in that culture in that day would be kind of like being called a gypsy. It wasn't a good thing. You know, Paul says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, that's years later when he's standing up in, the, in, in, the, in you know how language changes. Well, in that day, the apo rule, which is what it is in, in the Hebrew, this, and was found in, in literature, extent literature that day, they were not looked at as really good people. They were despised, just like they're being shepherds was despised. And here is this kind of immigrant community living in Goshen, and God is coming to Moses and saying, not only have I, have I heard and have I seen and do I know what's going on, but I'm actually going to step in now. And I'm going to use you, Moses, to step in and be a person who participates with me in the rescue. And God often will do that. He's preparing you for people who are in similar situations, and he's going to say, you know what, I would love for you to kind of through you I'm going to step into someone's situation if you have faith to do it. And so he says, I'm going to use you. And he says, and he says to these people, guess what? Moses, I will be bringing you out of this land and bringing you to this land. And you go, land filled with milk and honey. And this description appears some 20 times in the Old Testament. And, and, and especially as you look through Exodus and Deuteronomy. Theologian, there's a pastor, a theologian named Kevin DeYoung. He says, milk could also be translated as fat, and honey could also be translated as sap. Because it probably refers to nectar from fruit. Not what bees would make when we think honey. It's more the idea of sap. But it sounds nice to say a land flowing with milk and honey rather than a land of fat saps. Um, that doesn't sound so appealing. You've got fat, sappy people, right? That's the land you're going to. It's an ancient way of, here's, it's just an ancient way of saying, it's a good land. I love you so much. I have so much compassion for you. And I know that you're in the midst of this. You're living in this place. But guess what? This place won't always be the place you'll be living in. There will be a place and it will be really good because I love you. I love you. My compassion is for you. I am preparing this land. I've seen your affliction. I've seen the taskmasters. I know what they're doing. I've heard your cries. I've seen your oppression. And I've not left you. I've not forgotten about you. I'll be back. I'm coming. And in fact, I've never left. And then I think it's surprising who God calls. He uses people. I think it's surprising when we think about who it is that God calls. Because um, he has this great, grand, glorious plan, and he could just about use anyone. But if you look at chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and it says that Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Here's to call. Moses is as surprised as anybody. Who am I? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You have to think in a sense that Moses would have been ready. He's 80 years old. He's been contemplating probably retirement. He's learned a good deal. He's had a history of pursuing justice. He's learned humility and hard work through the years. He's been refined by family and farm life. He should have some things figured out. He probably should be ready. Yet when God comes to him, Moses says, who am I? 
And I don't think it was just polite ancient culture things, kind of a, a terminology like who me, kind of like in a, in a kind of humble, nice way. Because you have to consider that five times after that, he says, find somebody else. I think he really means this. I think he's saying, I think you got the wrong guy. You want to use me? It had been 40 years, and Moses was still wondering, probably in his mind, what I had attempted to do some 40 years ago by killing that Egyptian, and I've always felt like I've blown it, and there's been failure around that. I don't know if I really can do this, God. I was just going to mention, last week I I spoke about failure, and at a certain point when I was speaking about it, I... I got emotional and I really felt it deeply. And if some of you were here, you were aware of that. And I had a couple good friends and people come up to me afterwards. One actually texted me and said, you know, uh, I just was, I, I couldn't let this go. Have you forgiven that professor? And I thought, I don't know if I had. And I, I just said, you know, I, can, I need to do that. There may be someone, sometimes I just, I say that just as vulnerably as I can. There are times we don't even realize it. God goes, you know what? There's someone you need to forgive. It's holding you back. That someone may even be yourself. Because I think Moses was sitting there. I'm sure he had a hard time forgiving himself. He's standing, who me? Who, who am I? Who am I? God, I tried one time. I was horrible, remember? Don't you remember? Get somebody else. Or maybe Moses thought, God, I got a new assignment. Now I got married. I got some kids. I got a father-in-law. I'm tending his flocks. I got my life where I would like it to be. I don't know about Egypt any longer. But you want me to go back there? It's surprising that God uses people because he could use angels. He could do it directly himself. He could find some other way to meet a need. He could find some other way to do it, but he doesn't. He has you. He has you sitting next to someone or on the phone with someone or living next to someone or going to school with someone. And he is probably waiting for you to say, no longer, let me, but saying, okay. Because here's the thing that's really important when you start to go, but you know, who am I? How can I speak to, you know, he's my boss or I, it's my teacher or it's, it's the real, it's the jock athlete. I'm not going to, you know, I, who, who am I? And what I find interesting is God doesn't answer the question in this passage of scripture. You notice that? He doesn't answer his question really at all. God only says, I will be with you. And the word I will be is really the word I am. It's, it's the large I am, which he says a few moments later, I am who I am. And, and it's this idea, I am with you. The Lord doesn't answer his question because it's funny. Moses wants to talk about Moses, right? But God wants to talk about God. Moses wants to say, who am I? And, and, and God kind of says, not important. I'm not going to actually answer your question. All you need to know is that I'm with you. So let's quit talking about you and start, let's talk a little bit about me. Who I am. And then on top of that, God gives him a sign. 
When commentator writes, Moses says, I want a sign now. You're with me that I can trust you. Because you can hear, you know, if I'm going to go and you're going to be with me. And so God kind of is reading his thoughts and he says, I'll give you a sign. I'll give it to you after I've already done all this. Don't you love that? It's out, it'll be after, he says. You're going to have to trust me on the front end. I know you want a sign on the front end, but the sign will come at the, at the back end so that you can remember, aha, God promised this. God means what he says and when he makes a promise. And, and when you come back at some point with the people to this mountain, you'll remember what I told you here. That's the sign. And someday Moses will come back. He'll climb up that mountain some 15 to 16 chapters later in this book, Exodus, and he will remember, sure enough, God, all these years when I said you and when I saw you and heard you, and now here we are. You've been faithful to your promises. This is a fulfillment promise. It, it happens just like Andrea said. I've had some in my life where God comes, like she had a 10-10, and that was a fulfillment promise that when she was in that place where she felt her mom was robbed from her, she also looked back and said, oh God, I know you're with me. And you know why God gives you fulfillment promises? You may be, have one yourself that he puts out here is because it, it generates faith and it often keeps you moving and keeps you going by the very sense that you know that God loves you and he cares about you. And so when God gives you those, just hang on to them because God loves you. And someday you'll look back and you'll go, as we saw, as Andrea said, and you'll, 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 you'll be like Moses and you'll go, God, I'm standing here on this mountain and all these people are with me. You said that I'd do this and you did it. Because you said I would do this and you did it. God said, when it comes to a meal like this, communion, he said, I want to be with you and I want to be with you forever. And and I told you, and Jesus would tell you again and again, his disciples, I tell you that I love you, and someday you will see me die, and you will see me raise again, because I want you to know there's a land that is good, and that good is in my presence. And that land that you live in my presence today is a land that you will live in forever, because I love you. And these elements that we're going to take, they're fulfillment signs. They tell you when you take the bread that has broken his body. They tell you when you take this cup that has been spilt and the blood that has been spilt for you that God loves you. He is with you. This is not just some little ceremony that we're doing right now. This is a fulfillment sign that says, guess what? At this moment, as you take this and you take it by grace and all humility and you participate with me and allow my divine presence to walk with you throughout life, I will walk with you and be with you and I will take you to the place that you're to be and you will look back and you will say, thank you, God, that you did this. I'm going to ask the, the uh, team to come.